This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All righty, rocking and rolling. Hour number two of our radio program. It is the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio. Coming up an hour from now, Kalen DeBoer, the head football coach of the Washington Huskies, will join us. But first up, former NFL and college quarterback and someone when you hear Florida State, you think of him. And that, of course, is Danny Cannell, CBS Sports HQ, also Sirius XM. And make sure you check out Bet Online for updated college football championship and bowl game lines. Danny Cannell, always appreciate the time. How are you? I'm great, Zach. What's going on, man? Uh, it's great to be on with you again. It's I think the last time I talked to you, I was sitting outside the shoe yeah. before Ohio State, Penn State. But uh, it's good to be back on, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Let me start you off with Florida State because I haven't talked to you since they were left out of the college football playoff. I know that you wanted them in, but you tell me why they should have got in over, let's say, an Alabama or Texas, whoever you wanted to leave out. Uh, I think it's pretty simple. They won every game, right? I mean, it's just undefeated in a Power 5 conference which wins against LSU by a greater margin than Alabama beat LSU. They beat LSU on a neutral field. Bama beat them in their own backyard. They've got a win over Clemson, who finished 8-4. and four. Uh, They've got a win over Florida on the road with a backup quarterback and an ACC championship game over a, a top 15 Louisville team. Like, the resume to me stacks up. Here's the problem I have with it, Zach. It's just... And the committee was pretty forthright, right? First of all, the invitational, we'll call it, it's not really a playoff, is designed to basically exclude a worthy candidate. And that's what Florida State is. And unfortunately for my alma mater, it's the most egregious example of somebody being wronged that should have had an opportunity. It's not the first time, but it sure is the most egregious with a Power 5 team running the table. And the committee said, we didn't think they were as competitive without Jordan Travis. We didn't think they could compete for a national championship. And I would strongly push back against that. There is a laundry list of teams uh, in college and the NFL that have won with backup quarterbacks when you get other areas of the team you know, that play better, just like Florida State's defense did. So I think it's garbage. I think it's a team sport, the greatest team sport we made. I think the committee made a mistake, but... There's really no wrong answer for them because of the way this thing is designed. Well, let me just ask you this then. And I know this is not the way that it works. You have to based off what you did, not what you're going to project in the future. But let's say they put Florida State in over uh, Alabama and it was Michigan going up against Florida State in a few weeks in the Rose Bowl. How do you think that game would have played out? Florida State probably would have been a 13-point underdog. Um, but I think Florida State actually stacks up pretty well against Michigan because their offense hasn't been lighting up people either. You know, like I think it would have been a defensive lower scoring game, might have not been the most compelling TV product. But in that type of situation, I think Florida State could have gone toe to toe with them. Uh, and I think they might have been able to have that defense 
you know, rally, shut down Michigan's offense, which did struggle against Iowa's defense, which is a great top-tier defense, but so is Florida State. So I think they could have gone toe-to-toe with them. Uh, but I And I, I guarantee you, Zach, that's the conversation that unfolded in the committee room yeah. was, you know, well, how do you think this game plays out? And, it, and when, the minute I started to get nervous was when Florida State was playing the ACC championship game and the offense looked putrid. I mean, there's no other way around it. The offense looked atrocious with a third-string quarterback. And it was the whole night. It wasn't like, oh, halftime, they got it going. It was down to the wire. The offense never looked good. And I think the committee members were thinking about the matchups and the TV product. And are we really going to send that team to compete for a national championship? Which the problem I have with that is, did anybody watch Alabama versus Auburn one week before they beat Georgia? Like you could get that version of Bama against Michigan and it could be ugly for them too. But the committee made their decision. It's what we got to go by. And it's just a tough pill to swallow. It's always going to be. I'll tell you, those players I feel gutted for on Florida State because they'll be sitting around in 20, 30 years at their reunion saying, I can't believe we didn't get a chance. And they felt robbed, and I think deservedly so. And I'm going to preface what I'm going to say next, Danny Cannell, where when I say it, I know it kind of doesn't make sense, but I keep on saying it. Like, I do think Florida State got screwed. But on the other hand, I can't really disagree with what the committee did because any of the four teams in the playoff this year can win it. And we've not been able to say that each and every year when you look at these four teams. Ultimately, I think what it came down to was Alabama. Like, they, we all knew they weren't keeping out a one-loss SEC champion. And because Texas beat Alabama back in week two by 10 in Tuscaloosa, you needed to put Texas in, and that ultimately cost Florida State, in my opinion. Oh, agreed. I think you're spot on. And, like, for Florida State fans that are upset, they're mad at Kirk Herbstreet, they're mad at Bill Hancock, they're mad at everybody <laughs> because they got left off. Be mad at the system. like, And that's what that's one thing I have remained true. Like, I have not been okay with the system since day one. I thought it was better. The 14 was better than the BCF, just like the BCS. Just like I think the 12 team will be better than the 4 team. But it's an imperfect system. It was designed to create controversy. We were sold that that's good, the debate. You know, the fact that somebody's going to be on the cusp and somebody's going to be left out is a good thing. And I have maintained the whole time, probably most vocally when 2017, when UCF, a group of five team, got left out that was undefeated, yet they had multiple wins against Power 5 programs. I said, hold on, this feels wrong. And ironically, that year, Bama backdoored their way in, didn't win their division, but ended up winning the national championship. And UCF beat the team that beat Alabama in Auburn. So there's always been a team that's been left out. Just like I said, unfortunately, the last year of its existence, it happened to be Florida State. And the good news is next year, I think we'll get, you know, a better playoff, which hopefully we'll get, you know, everyone that's deserving will get left in. Let me flip it on you. Do you, because I was having this conversation sure. the other night, Zach. If it was the 12-team playoff this year, do you think Florida State would have been given the four? Like, do you think that because you still could have had Alabama hmm. in, you have Georgia in, you've got everybody in, do you think they would have rewarded Florida State going undefeated? Yeah. Or do you think they would have? Yeah, I, I think, I so think they would have. It was that they could, because look at this. You're telling me Florida State's not better than Alabama, but then they're better than Georgia. And don't get me wrong. I think Georgia's better than Florida State, but even in the argument of four, it didn't really make sense, and it was okay. We know we have to find Bama landing spot, but it doesn't really matter where we put the landing spot of Georgia, so let's put Florida State in front of Georgia. 
Right. I think so too. I think you're spot on with that one. So I think that's what how it would have unfolded. And you know, if you truly went with the best teams, I'm using air quotes, like if because we were talking lines before who'd been favored, the four probably should have been in any order, mm-hmm. Michigan, Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia. Like those are the four biggest powerhouses, best teams in the country. If you went by rosters, four and five star makeup. But at some point, you do have to honor what unfolded on the field. And that's where I think Florida State got the raw deal because they kind of ignored that. The only one I disagree with out of those four is Ohio State. And I was someone all throughout the year that I thought Ohio State was overrated. I thought they were lucky to beat Notre Dame. McCord should have thrown that pick. And then Marcus Freeman didn't have enough guys on the field at the end of the game. And ultimately, you saw it up against Michigan you know, it shows you why Michigan's better than Notre Dame. They find a way to make those interceptions when McCord is giving you the football. I thought the quarterback for Ohio State was what's going to derail their season and made them just a good team, not a great team. Yeah, and I guess good news if you're a Buckeye fan, Kyle McCord is now a Syracuse uh, member of the Syracuse Orange, so he doesn't have, <laughs> so they don't have to. They're going to be looking for a new quarterback. Yes and no, but I thought they would land like DJ Ungale or Cam Ward. I, I don't even know who's going to be playing quarterback for them next year. They may be begging for McCord to come back to, to Ohio State next year. Yeah, and it might be a one-game audition for Devin Brown, the uh, the freshman who you know played a little bit this past year, got hurt. I, I you know he's expected to play in this bowl game, and I, maybe that's what they makes their decision. If he balls out, they're like, we're good. We've got some young signees that we've got. But if he struggles, I wouldn't be surprised that they're in the market because some of these quarterbacks haven't made their decision yet. They're kind of waiting and holding out for bigger paydays, and that could be a school that you know gets a little desperate after the bowl game and says, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. The other thing I want to bring up, Danny Cannell, because I, I, I could see it now. Like, I, I don't fault Jared Verse for skipping the bowl game. You know, it's like this bowl game, it really means nothing when you had college football playoff aspirations, and it's so deflating uh, with that feeling. But I could, you know, like, Georgia, if they if they destroy Florida State, I don't think that should be justifying the argument of the committee on why they left them out, too. Oh, but it will be used. It'll be fun. 100%. Like Florida State. Florida State's in a no-win situation because if they beat Georgia, and they're a two-touchdown underdog, that line's probably going to move up as the more Florida State players opt out. People are going to say, oh, but Georgia wasn't trying because it was was national championship or bust for them. Exactly. (laughs) And if Florida State gets beat, then they're going to say, see, you didn't belong. They really are in a no-win situation. And Mike Norvell, he spoke for the first time on signing day uh, yesterday. Oh, me too. And he said, he said this is the hardest two weeks he's ever faced as a coach. And I believe him because he's been trying to keep guys morale up, trying to keep guys wanting to play. And when, you know, when the committee says to you, you're not good enough, we don't think you can compete for a national championship. Well, then why should we compete for anything if you don't think we're any good? And I think that's probably the mindset that the players have. Why should I stick around and play in a meaningless bowl game, which I do think the bowl system itself is broken because of the college football calendar. And I think the only solution is to move bowl games to week zero. You know, and if it's a playoff game, make it in post, you know, post regular season, post championship weekend, any other bowl game. I think the only solution is put it week zero. Otherwise we're going to see these opt-outs continue 400 plus players. Zach have opted out or, or transfer portaled out or opted out to prepare for the NFL draft 400 players. That is a massive problem for college football. I mean, and and that's all I do is prepare for these games. I can't even tell you who's playing half the positions at at different teams. Like tonight's the Boca Bowl. I'm actually going to the game. I'm in South Florida. I've it's been Syracuse. there once. My, my owl was lost yeah. in the Boca Bowl. I've been there. It's a, it's a good stadium. Right? It's a great little bowl. It's great. It's fun. Syracuse is playing uh, South Florida. 
Yeah. Half of both. And these are two teams that are six and six, you know, like they're like, sometimes you think that's a reward. They get to come to South Florida. Both teams have like double digit players have entered the transfer portal. So you're getting kind of who's playing. I don't know. And who wants to be there is the question we keep asking. I want to put them in week zero. So, you know, they matter. Like they could impact your chance to make the playoff make your chance to win a you know conference championship. So I think that's the only solution. So what you're saying is you move it to week zero and then have that game count for the next season schedule? Like like on their record? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So and it like just have and then the the only the only hiccup in that one is like bowls are a reward for a successful season. That that's what I've always been told. But the players are telling you they don't care. Like they're saying it's not a reward. I don't know if you're playing the game. So if you are, you know, seven, if you get six wins, then then you would set the schedule for the following season. The week zero would be your reward. You come to now it'd be a lot hotter in Boca in August, <laughs> but you would come to Boca for a few days. And week zero is growing exponentially. Like I remember the first week zero was like two games. Then it went to five. Then the TV networks are like, oh, wait, we can put games here. Now it's like 15. Make it the bowl, you know, kind of bowl weekend, week zero. It's kind of empty. And then it matters, and you'll have full participation. It's an interesting idea because um, I do think in a four-team format, these bowl games are irrelevant. Now when we go to 12, they're even going to become more relevant. Now let me be clear, Danny Cannell, I hate going to 12. Like six or eight, I'm fine with. Going to 12, I think it takes away. What makes college football better than so many other sports is every regular season game matters. And we talk about those soft landing spots. Now you could go be an SEC team or a Big Ten team you lose two, three games like Ohio State, Michigan, whoever loses, they're still going to find a way to get into the playoff, and it takes away from those great regular season games. I totally hear your argument. Uh, I think eight was the perfect number. Twelve kind of came out of nowhere, right? I mean, that was the uh, – And it's going to get worse because they're going to go from 12 only north of that in the in the future. Probably. You're probably right. I hope they get to a place where we can do away with committees. Like, don't select them. Just come up with a true playoff where it's division win. You know, like, like the NFL model where the mm -hmm. minor league NFL – Let's do it. I do think there are some protections, like the buy for the top four teams. Like those losses could hurt you where you lose a buy to get healthy, or you get to either host a home game, you know, if you're seeding five through eight, and then you'd have to go on the road. So there will be some penalty. I think what's really going to be weird are the rematches that take place. Like we already see Ohio State, Michigan, final game of the regular season. They're doing away with divisions in the Big Ten. You could see a rematch of that game a week later. And yeah. if they're undefeated the first time, you could see them meet again. Like that to me is probably the biggest issue that I'm kind of worried about. Hopefully they can fix the bracket so that they don't face again. But if they both win, you can't really prevent that from happening. But I I all it's more of a wait and see for me. But I totally understand what you're thinking. I still believe that there's enough teams at 130 and you know, right. The reality is that only 40, you know, can get to the playoffs, not win, get to the playoffs. I think, I still think only about 12 can actually win the national championship, but I do think that the hope that it brings those 40 programs will bring added value to the regular season deeper. Like the month of November will lean, will mean that much more because teams are still in the playoff race. What do you hope happens with Florida state, whether it's realistic or not moving forward with their search to potentially join a new conference? Man, I wish they could salvage the ACC. I mean, my freshman year at Florida State was the first year in the conference, but it just seems unsustainable, you know, untenable. All the reasons that Florida State has laid out are valid. 
Uh, I am, I'll say this full disclosure. I'm tired of all the talk and the meetings and the saber rattling and the threats. Just bring some action. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get out, start the legal process, sue the league, which I think that's what this meeting tomorrow is going to be about. I think they're going to approve that and they're going to start to sue their way out of the ACC. Um, the big 10 or sec is where you want to be. Those are the, those are the super conferences. They hold the keys to the future of college football I think the SEC is clearly a better fit regionally, rivalry-wise. We already play Florida. We've already played LSU. Like, there's been some natural rivalries just regionally. The Big Ten feels a little bit clunky. It doesn't feel like the best fit. But if the SEC says we're good, we already have the Florida Gators in the state, sign me up to play Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, Washington. But that's where the future of college football is headed, are these two super conferences. And if Florida State wants to stay – you know, where I think they belong at the upper echelon, they need to find a spot in one of these leagues. And I think a big misconception that people have, Danny Cannell, last thing I'll, I'll bring up to you, and yeah, Florida State's a big enough brand to be in the Big Ten or the SEC, but I think a lot of people believe that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to keep on just adding a lot of schools. Like, that's the exclusive part of uh, college football and college sports, the Big Ten and the SEC. I and mean, I look around teams that aren't in the Big Ten and the SEC – there's not a lot of attractive brands that are still remaining, especially in college football. Right. And that's the leverage that Florida State is trying to use between those two leagues. Because Clemson and Florida State and Notre Dame, Notre Dame is the golden goose, right? Yeah. And that feels like the Big Ten. That just needs to happen. But outside of Notre Dame, it feels like Florida State and Clemson, two best brands available. I do think they're somewhat attached to the hip. So if Florida State can push their way out, I do think there's probably some deal with those two together. And then it's, you know, all right, the, the you go to the SEC and say, you really want to let us go to the Big Ten? Like these two valuable playoff-worthy teams are going to let them go and to Fox, which is a, you know, there's a competitive nature there. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, I, I don't know what Greg Sankey and the SEC will decide to do, but I think they bring too much value where you would turn them down. But, they, but then it's like, gets really crowded. You know, I, I still think I am worried about this because I think, and when these current TV deals that start next year, so in about six years, like 2030, we lost like Pac-12, Washington State, Oregon State kind of died, right? They're, the Pac-12 was blown up. Yeah. Washington State, Oregon State left out. I do wonder if there's another cycle where some of the bottom dwellers in the Big Ten and the SEC are left behind to make room for Florida State, Clemson, maybe Miami, maybe some other programs in the ACC that are better brands, than some of the bottom dwellers in the SEC and Big Ten. I'm just curious. I hate that it's going to happen, but I feel like it will. Do you think Miami's still attractive to either the Big Ten or, or the SEC? Are they still an attractive brand? I think Florida, the state of Florida, is attractive to the Big Ten. And I think academically, Miami's probably more attractive than Florida State. I think, And I think they're probably a better fit. But I, that doesn't – I mean, Florida State is trying to do things um, – academically perception wise, like become an AAU school so that they are perceived stronger academically. Hey, I think they're the Harvard of the South. I think it's a great school, but the reality is they're not one of the top schools ranking wise. So they're trying to change that perception so that they bring more value to the big 10. Cause that seems to be a priority for them even more so than football. You can check out bet online for updated college football championship and bowl game lines. Danny Cannell, before we let you run, I have to ask you about Colorado. What do you think the future is for coach prime? And how do you think we'll be talking about them a year from now? 
Do you mean Colorado, the uh, 99th ranked recruiting class of 2024? I mean, that was pretty astounding. I, it was shocking. Like, I'm a little bit concerned about him, but Deion Sanders has made it clear, I'm going to do this through the portal, you know, and they're getting veteran players. It's a unique, you know, tactic to take. But as long as he's got Shador and they brought in four offensive linemen, they're still waiting on the fifth, the kid who kind of switched and flipped his commitment, who was on just two weeks ago yeah, on FS1 it, yeah. with Skip Bayless, you know, professing his commitment to Colorado. Now it's up in the air. If they can shore him up and they can protect Shador and they're in the Big 12, which will be easier, not easy, easier to win than the Pac-12, I think they should be better. And I think it's good. Like, I think it's a great story for college football. I also think there's a high... Like there's, it's just a, it's going to be one of those boomer bust situations. Like in, and this year you saw both of it. I think next year could be the same. If they can keep it on track and keep their eyes focused and not get distracted by game day and big noon kickoff and celebrities, they could make a run for the big 12 championship. Wow. But if they face adversity and they start to get distracted and you see infighting and they're worried about talking and putting out Instagram videos and hype videos then I could see him being six and six. So like there's a wide gap of what they possibly could be, but I guarantee you this, everybody's going to be watching just like last year. He is Danny Connell. Danny, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for the time. You got it, Zach. Have a great holiday season. You got it. There he is. Danny Connell joining us on CBS sports radio. And if coach prime is uh, watching, I am a believer. Just, just clarifying that I'm a big time fan of coach prime and he can come back on the show anytime he wants. Always love my conversations with coach prime and also Danny Cannell. Once again, you can check out Bet Online for updated college football championship and bowl game lines. And they were uh, the ones that were bringing Danny Cannell to us. We'll take a break. We'll come on back when we do return. How many attractive brands are there still in college sports and also college football? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This portion of the show is brought to you by Wesley Financial. Stuck in a timeshare and want out, contact Wesley Financial Group now and get a free timeshare exit information kit at WesleyFinancialGroup.com. We have a reporter agent fight right now and I'm here with a big tub of popcorn and my fingers is getting all covered in butter and I'm eating up this uh, feud this war that I'm seeing right now on social media so Josina Anderson longtime NFL reporter tweeted out I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness 
that some owners have been told that Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson's asking price is at least or around $15 million a year for a head coach job per source. Now, the immediate reaction would be $15 million a year for a guy who's never been a head coach. And yeah, he's done a nice job in Detroit. That would be an astronomical price tag for a first-time head coach. But Richmond Flowers, who's the agent for Ben Johnson, he quote tweeted Josina Anderson's tweet. And he said, I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness that there is no asking price or demand. And this tweet is 100% false and irresponsible reporting per source. Now, that's a pretty big time uh, shutdown there by Mr. Flowers. So here's my interpretation of this. I do think that there's some truth to this report. But I think this report is generated towards one team. Remember, last year, Ben Johnson was extremely coveted by the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers wanted Ben Johnson in the worst way. And I think if memory serves me right, he did the first interview and then he took his name out when they were ready to give him a second interview and they were planning. The momentum was feeling that Ben Johnson was going to get the Carolina Panthers job. We all know the money that David Tepper has. And when it's for a player, there's a salary cap. But there's no salary cap for coaching. So what I think is happening here is Ben Johnson, a year later, still doesn't want to go to Carolina. He'll have better options than Carolina. But he's basically saying or making it known, I want $15 million a year because he knows there's only one owner that would be crazy enough to pay a first-time head coach who's the offensive coordinator for the Lions $15 million a year to get their guy, and that would be David Tepper. Because I have never had these conversations, but I could only imagine you telling a billionaire no or I don't want to go to where you want me to go usually doesn't end well for the person saying no. Where it may end up because he's going to get paid a ridiculous amount of money, but if his intention isn't to go to Carolina, well, he's basically challenging the owner of the Panthers, how much are you going to pay me, so it does end up working out well for him, for me to actually take the job. That's the way that I interpret this, Samter. I don't think Ben Johnson still wants to go to Carolina. He knows he probably has two or three other jobs in his back pocket already that he would take less money and go to. And I don't know, like what? Probably like seven, six, eight million dollars anywhere in that range if he goes to those other jobs. But he's basically dangling the carrot out there. Hey, Mr. Tepper, I didn't want you last year. You still want me. I know you're desperate. You really want me? Then go pay me a ridiculous price tag to go get me. I mean, if there is somebody who would pay the ridiculous price tag, it is David Tepper. But I just look at the wording of the coin. I love Josina. Mm-hmm. But I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness that some owners have been told per source. Like, it's just like, it's like hemming and hawing. It's like there's, so an owner may have told another owner that a source told a source that a guy may have talked to another guy that we're aware that we're possibly going to discuss yeah. that maybe Ben Johnson may have said this to an owner. It's like, okay, uh, listen, if it's true, it's true. There's no chance he's going to get it. And if Carolina is well, the way he's going to go, ch- and he's trying to dangle it, fine. But there's a gonna- chance from Carolina he gets it. That's about it. No, I don't. I still don't think so. Well, here's why. Like, as much as David Tepper might want Ben Johnson, 
I don't think after firing two coaches and having to pay them whatever they're he's going to pay them, mm-hmm. you know, off of firing them. I don't think he's going to shelf $15 million for a guy who's never coached before. Well, two things. Number one, David Tepper has showed before he's willing to go above and beyond what other owners are going to do. But like, he may have learned a lesson. Wait, no, no, hold on. Let me finish. Matt Rule was supposed to go get on a flight and go to New York with the Giants interview there. David Tepper, for a first-time NFL head coach, gave him, what, like $70 million? And then after two years and four or five games, he got rid of him. And then the other part here, too, is that I don't think David Tepper, in right this elite circle of NFL owners where a lot of owners care what the other owners think about them, and sometimes you don't do things like giving Lamar Jackson a fully guaranteed contract because you know it's going to mess up the system or it's going to annoy the other owners. But there's always one owner that operates rogue. Look at the Haslam family. They did that with Deshaun Watson. And I think David Tepper in the coaching cycle would operate on his own. And I almost gave the middle finger on the YouTube camera and I prevented myself from doing that. When I say give the middle finger and then usually give the middle finger when you say that. But it wouldn't surprise me if Tepper gives the middle finger to the rest of the owners and go, I need to get this right. I believe in this guy. I've now believed in this guy for two years. So you really don't want me? And you're going to go to, I don't know, uh, the commanders for six or seven? Well, I'll make sure to give you an offer that you can't refuse the $15 million. I think this is, uh, whether it's true or not, the fact that this is getting talked about, maybe it could be owner-driven, where they're like, oh, we know Tepper's desperate, so let's just dangle out this to to, to Josina that, hey, he's asking for $15 million, and if Tepper thinks that's the price tag to go get his guy, he'll be willing to pay it. There, There is no doubt about that. In my mind. All right, this is Zach Gelb's show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll get back into the brand conversation in college football coming up later in the show. How many brands outside of, uh, for teams that are not in the Big Ten of the SEC are still attractive? Kalen DeBoer is going to join us coming up in about 30 minutes from now, the head football coach of the Washington Huskies. But let's take a break. And when we come on back, we'll update you on some of the biggest stories in the world of sports with some audio. We call that segment the News Brief. First up, standing by with the latest CBS Sports Radio update. Here is El Capitan, Marco Belletti. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through. You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's one thing falling in love with a house, and quite another navigating the world of negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. Guidance from an agent who's a realtor can make all the difference, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. All righty, Zach Gelb shows CBS Sports Radio. We'll get to a news brief in a second. But I have a problem that I just uh, discovered during the break. So I sent one of our coworkers a Starbucks gift card uh, for the holidays. I know the, the person's a, a big uh, coffee drinker. 
And I texted this person, hey, I, I sent you a gift card. Let me know if you don't get it. Now, I just got back-to-back emails from Starbucks. First email is, congratulations, your, your gift card has been delivered. And then 30 seconds later, I get an email saying, unfortunately, your gift card is not able to get delivered. So I go to my credit card statement, and because it just happened, it's still pending. And then I texted that person, did you get the gift card? They said no. So what do I do in this scenario? Like, do I just assume that that person is being a good person and telling me he didn't get the gift card to try to not uh, finagle two gift cards out of me? Or do I just resend the gift card and and just uh, hope that the first one actually didn't go true? Because that's a confusing part to me, Stu and, and Samter, is they sent me the email saying it got delivered, and then 30 seconds later I get this email that it's not delivered. Yeah, it seems like it can't be both ways, right? Like, that's that's a conundrum. I don't know. I, I would... I would kind of wait and probably give the person the gift card another one, okay, and then hope it like. And then if cancels. and then if it, if both goes through, they call the first, my credit card. Company. Yeah, dispute the first one if they both go through. Okay, so so that's what I'll end up doing. But I was like looking at that because at first I was like, oh, maybe I'll wait. But then once it gets past Christmas, then I you know, I know you people right. Once it gets past Christmas, the holiday season, people still say happy holidays for like four weeks after that, which is ridiculous in its <laughs> own right. But I feel as if you you got to get the gifts in, in my opinion, before Christmas when it comes to, to company gifts or else it, it feels a little disingenuous. But anyway, that's a personal problem. All right, let's update you on some of the biggest stories in the world of sports with some audio we get to. Extra, extra, Time for your daily news brief. We get you caught up on the rumors, reports, and reconnaissance from the day in sports. All right, let's start off with Mike McDaniel. Samter was telling me about this speech yesterday from Hard Knocks, and today it's blowing up and it's going viral. Here is what Samter says is an awesome speech that Mike McDaniel gave to his team. I know who's in this room, so we're going to hit this, and, like, if it's brutal, yeah, bring that Let's just look at it straight in the eyes. It's pretty simple. We lost the game up for 15 different reasons. And I have my hand fully in that trash plan on my part. Yeah, I call it some trash plays. That will happen. Just like you'll have bad plays. You know what makes me a man? Is that I don't blink at that nor do I avoid it. I'm gonna learn from that You don't get mad, you don't get, you don't get sad. That okay? We learn lessons. There's one coach that he sounds like. You guys want to take a guess? There is a college coach. And I've never thought about this until I just heard that audio. That Mike McDaniel sounds like. Stu, you want to take a guess? Just a college coach that that he sounds like. Oh, I I mean, mm, I don't know. Mark Stoops. All righty. Not Mark Stoops. (laughs) Samter. Ryan Day. No, it is not crying Ryan. He wouldn't have that much emotion. He would just be crying. It's actually Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. When I he see did, it. yeah. You know, I'm a man. I'm 40. That kind of that kind of sounded a little bit like Mike McDaniel there. And that's one of my favorite, and I mean favorite uh, speeches and rants I've ever heard from a coach. The other one was uh, Dan Hawkins, I think, when he was at Colorado. And he was like, it's Division One football. Go play in Amiral's, brother. Go play in Amiral's. You got two weeks off for this vacation. Two weeks off for that one. Another week for this. That's more vacation than you guys get. 
Oh, that was a great speech. Hawkins and Mike Gundy, two of my favorite speeches are outbreaks from or outbursts from a college football coach ever. I, I kind of McDaniel has grown on me. He's an acquired taste, and now I'm starting to understand him. At first, I just thought, man, this guy makes absolutely zero sense, and I'll never connect with this guy. But he's genuine, and he puts the losses on him, and he turns on the tape and basically goes, there's 15 reasons why we lost this game, and it's all on me. I got my hands on them. And I think as a player, when you get caught up in a bad loss like that, and it feels as if the the ship is about to sink, when a coach takes all the ownership on him and actually provides some levity, it's easier to accept the criticism than move on and give you a great effort the next week, which they did up against the Jets. Here is uh, Nick Sirianni on the mindset on the deep ball on the final play where Jalen Hurts was airing the ball out and it eventually got intercepted for the second time by Julian Love. At times there, you know, you can get a pass interference there. If you get a pass interference call there and, and if a team's giving you a one-on-one shot and you can get a pass interference and now you're in position to, to kick it. So, and so there's times where you're going to be able to, you're going to do that. And we, we felt like in that situation, we had an opportunity to, uh, hey, it didn't work out that particular time. So it would be one thing if there was three seconds left in the game. And you said, okay, we are, like, let's say you, were, you weren't you were 70 yards away, but let's say you were 70 yards away. That we'll just toss the ball up deep instead of doing, like, a hook and lateral play, and we'll just hope to get a pass interference to get you in field goal range to kick the field goal. That'd be one thing. But you just had a big run by Jalen Hurts. You're down at the 45. You just need, like, 20 more yards. And... You got to go short there, and you have a great field goal kicker in Jake Elliott. To try to hope for a penalty in that spot doesn't really make sense. Here is Antonio Pierce. The uh, Raiders play the Chiefs once again this weekend, and the last time these two teams met up, Raiders had a good start. They're up like 14-0. Josh Jacobs had a touchdown, and the Chiefs were the Chiefs, and the Raiders were the Raiders, and the Chiefs end up winning the game. Here is Antonio Pierce on how you stop the Chiefs in their trick plays. Can't. He's got a million of them. <laughs> Every time you think you've seen one, you've seen it all, here comes another one. And they're creative. They have fun doing it. That's good. Uh, but obviously, at the end of the day, you got to do your job, right? So if they don't run it in, here comes the gadgets. You know, we saw the ring around the rosy deal they did last year, all fun and games. Cool. But at some point, the best way to stop a trick play is do what? Hit it in the mouth. More and more I hear Antonio Pierce speak. My comp for him is uh, Dan Campbell. And I've said that before. But he is Dan Campbell for what Dan Campbell is to the Lions, what Antonio Pierce is to the Raiders. And that is just, we're going to physically beat you up. We're going to smack you in the mouth. We're going to bite off your kneecaps. And that could galvanize a locker room when you have a former player who's not that far removed from playing, connecting with younger players now in the NFL. But uh, I don't care if the Raiders punch the Chiefs in the mouth. Uh, I still don't think it's going to be enough to go get a victory. Here is uh, Dave Doran. This is going back to November 26th. This is right after uh, UN, uh, UNC lost to NC State. NC State won 39-20. to This is Dave Doran in the locker room after the game. Hey, you know, it's been 1,460 days since mm-hmm. those pieces of yeah. So he called them pieces of bleep, UNC. Now, Mac Brown yesterday, even though these comments happened on November 25th, November 26th, he went off on Dave Doran for his comments. The head coach of that school called our players a piece of shit. I've never heard something like that before, and I'm disappointed. 
Uh, I thought it was classless. Uh, it's not true. Uh, but you don't call kids a piece of And from me speaking for them and their parents, they really didn't appreciate uh, being called a piece of Never heard that before. Um, and, and very, very disappointing. So that North Carolina, so that video, I guess why it was brought up yesterday, is North Carolina, that was their final game of the season, North Carolina NC State. And then you go into the, to the bowl season, availability not that much, then you have all the recruiting. So yesterday, Mac Brown probably made available because of signing day. And he finally got asked about that, I guess. Because at first I was like, man, it's bizarre to bring it up that that much later. But if it's asked, hey, you got to give an answer to the question. Uh, this is Dave Doran then apologizing for his comments. This also from yesterday. I did call coach and apologize um, because I could have used a lot of different words, obviously. He caught me in a heat of a moment situation in the locker room celebrating a huge win. And I was fired up about how we played. But uh, I have respect for Coach, and, and, you know, so last thing I wanted was for him to feel that. And, again, it's not an excuse, but it shouldn't have been on TV. And, and I think there's a thousand coaches out there would tell you that if we had to apologize for everything we said in the locker room, we'd probably spend a lot of time doing that. Well, that's the thing, too. And I know this may sound lame for my part, but I'm going to say it. If I was a college football coach, I'm not allowing any cameras in the locker room Unless they are team-issued cameras. Like, I'm not allowing players to FaceTime or or to go on uh, Instagram Live or FaceTime. Because some of those locker room moments, you wouldn't, even though you shouldn't operate this way, but you fire up a football team and you're connecting to your players. You say thing in the heat of the moment. And then they get out and it makes the coach look bad. Where I guarantee you that this isn't the first time a coach has said something badly about another team just fired up after a win. Like, I don't think Dave Dorn actually thinks the UNC players are pieces of bleep. He's just saying that, like, to connect with his players and do something like that. So, and I don't even like Dave Dorn. I'm not a fan of Dave Dorn. Out of all the coaches I've interviewed in college football, I remember when he beat Clemson, oh, he was a terrible, boring interview. So, like, I'm not a fan of really Dave Dorn, but I can't crush him for this one. But, like, if I'm a college coach... I'm not allowing TV cameras in the locker room. Like, people remember people ripped Dan Lanning for the speech that he gave, which was basically nothing. He was like, talk with your helmet. Hit Colorado. And people freaked out about that. And uh, to allow TV cameras in the locker room, right, it's just the the sacred locker room. I I think it's a little bit ridiculous. The one thing, so Doran actually went on later on and went on a rant saying that he didn't, they normally have to have approval and get Asked permission mm-hmm. to have cameras in there, and nobody asked for permission, yeah. and there was no approval given. So he wasn't expecting there to be TV cameras. So I think that's part of it, also. He's like, if I knew there was a camera there, I wouldn't have said that. But we didn't approve having cameras in there. We didn't want a camera in there. So that's why he was upset. Gotcha. And he went on a whole rant about it. But still, to your point, also be aware. Right? Even if you didn't approve it, look around before you start saying stuff. Yeah, but you're fired up after when you come running your lock. I, I, I can't trash the coach for, for, for that one. Uh, so, Mike Shrewsbury had a great season last year at Penn State. Now he's the head basketball coach at Notre Dame. Uh, his team uh, struggling, and Mike Shrewsbury uh, rips his Notre Dame team. We're building a culture, and that ain't it. That is not the culture we're trying to build. So a message needs to be sent to some of these guys that, like, if you don't play hard, then you can sit and rot over there on the bench, and I'll, I'll find a way. I'll go and talk to the people in compliance, and I will help you transfer. Because this culture is getting built the right way. And if you ain't a part of it, you're out. And I don't care. Wow. How about that? Now, recently they lost to Marquette, who's ranked top 10 in the country. 
They lo just lost to Georgetown in overtime. And I saw Ed Cooley was like lecturing the media afterwards where how we need to praise Micah Shrewsbury. And I thought, like, I didn't watch the game. I just thought, oh, Notre Dame won based off that comment. But they ended up uh, losing to Georgetown in overtime, and they just lost to the Citadel, 65-45. to 45. So he's not happy with uh, his team's effort or lack of it. And when you're building a program, sometimes you have to talk through the media where if you're just shredding your teams behind the scenes and it's not working, then sometimes you have to blast them publicly, and that's what Micah Shrewsbury did. All right, he's Zach Gelb, show CBS Sports Radio. We will take a break. When we come on back, Kalen DeBoer, the head coach of the Washington Huskies, is going to join us coming up. In a little over a week, his team going to be playing in a bowl game. It's college football playoff semifinals up against Texas. The winner goes to the national championship game. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.